So, welcome guys to the second half of the Ian Adair episode from last Wednesday. Last time we talked a lot about uh, trying to find peace when there are multiple crises going on in the world at the same time. And last week was more of a focus on the personal aspect of doing that. But in this episode, Ian and Thomas get into some really great conversations about how to make sure that you're being taken care of at your workplace. We spend so much of our time there and... It's important that we feel like we are seen, we are heard, that we're taken care of. And in this half of the episode, Ian and Thomas are going to get into those details and talk about where do companies go from here to make sure that they are taking care of their employees. Yeah, I agree. And a, a, a great takeaway. And then I just really want you to enjoy this. And if if you really don't know what our ta- we are talking about, go back and watch last episode. But you know, you want to manage that stress, but you also want to speak your truth and you want to be just absolutely as transparent as you can to be as healthy as you possibly can be. And being a parent, you want to be that way with your kids as well. So enjoy this next episode. Uh, again, you can reach out to us, uh, talk to us. We'd love to hear what you think. Have a good time, folks. I believe organizations and leaders and having a conflict resolution class is great. One of the things that we first started over at Grace Point was this um, very robust employee recognition program in the heart of COVID, like right before things really, when we thought it was just going to be around for a little bit, it was going to, you know, we were all rescheduling things a month later in our calendar. Um, how are we going to recognize people for doing good work when now we don't see people every day? So there are aspects of our business that are 24 7. Our crisis uh, services, they're there all the time. They're not, they can't work from home. But then our telehealth therapists, they can work from home. Our case managers can work from home. Some other positions can be hybrid. So now what are we doing to recognize people for their good work? Who's been able to maneuver through this crisis in a bit and then up their level of care, their level of service to help our patients and our clients? And so that recognition helped morale. That was something that uh, we probably should have done before. But leadership has changed now. And I think when we're hearing about this great resignation now, another thing that's taking over social media and it it has a negative connotation to it. And people are talking about it all the time. My son asked me if I was going to resign soon. Uh, That's not what this is. Um, (laughs) What we're talking about really is what's the definition of leadership? And I think leadership has changed and evolved over the years. Leadership today is about taking care of the people doing the work and not just the work itself. So organizations that are finding ways to take care of their people, whether they're wellness programs, mental health awareness programs, uh, providing opportunities for teams to get together other than that just one barbecue in the parking lot a year, finding open spaces for groups to just be around each other because there's several lines of business in most large organizations like both of our organizations are. And maybe we need some folks, maybe the finance folks need to see the folks in the warehouse every now and then and finding right. opportunities for, for some community building and just hearing about what's going on in the organization a little bit differently. And so that's where we're seeing a lot of success. Those organizations understanding that if we're spending most of our time at work and we laugh about that all the time, uh, what are we doing at work to keep our people in a place where they're where they're healthy, yeah. um, recognized, uh, and they want to continue to come back each and every day? Yeah, I, I think that's an important point. I want to share, a, again, a saying. This is probably from 25 years ago, but it was about television, but I think you could apply it to pretty much anything now. Uh, but they said uh, television is a, uh, a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Hmm. Right, and you think about where the context of those things are in our lives. I think uh, probably about seven or eight years ago, nine years ago, I was talking to one of the school superintendents, um, 
and having a conversation about how we could address childhood hunger inside of schools. Uh, and she lamented, she said, you know, I got into school uh, education for teaching. I wanted to teach kids, and I've spent far more of my time figuring out how to feed them and get them health medicine, right, health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And I've contemplated that a lot in thinking how far all of us have to come across in order to get someone educated. She realized if she was going to be successful as an educator, she had to address some underlying right challenges. Yeah. And I think this is the part as an employer that we're struggling with, which is how far do you go into that relationship with that person? How do you, right? One of our ethos here as an organization is uh, we will say with uh, validity, we have people here with PhDs and we have people here with prison records. And all are welcome here, right? We're happy to have them. They all add value. They're all important parts of our world. But the dynamic that each of those people bring into our world is very, very different. Their level of experience is very, very different. Their toolkit is very, very different. And one of the things that we're talking more and more about is how do we move into this level of stress with them? Do we go into that with them? Do we help them through that? Do we develop toolkits uh, for them? Uh, We have focused far more on mental health and well-being, restful well-being. Most of our benefits have now been reshaped towards those, right, Mm -hmm. Um, as we start to contemplate this. But I'm not really sure, Ian, where that ultimately leads us, neither as a negative or a positive, but just to contemplate, you know, uh, how much um, can we do to help meet a person where they are and what does that look like? Because you're right. The barbecue is important. Yeah. Right? The moment of humanity is important. Right, I get that. But I continue to come back to the idea that we have a serious mental and emotional health crisis in our communities. And they show up in the places where we spend the most time, which is here at work. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we take that as a, there is a work challenge to be had. I don't view it that way necessarily. I view it as people are struggling to maintain their sanity and well-being and emotional capability in different situations and how do we as an employer think about building out greater resources for those that we serve with it's you know the companies that are attempting that yeah are doing the best right now the companies that are attempting that are winning in the recruitment game they're winning in the retention game and these are the things that i think we forget about it when you look at leadership and it's and sometimes it's generational there's a lot more people over 50 in ceo leadership positions today there's nothing wrong with that i don't want i I don't want i don't (laughs) i don't want to be uh you know accosted when i'm at Publix later but you know there's um there's a lot of things going on when you, when you talk about leadership. A lot of it is very generationally based. Mm-hmm. How do we communicate? What's our what's our leadership style? Mm-hmm. Is it authoritarian or authoritative? That's what most people in leadership positions. That's what they had to deal with when they were coming up. You didn't talk about work life balance, about self care, about mental health. You didn't talk about about well being. Those weren't part of the recruitment and retention strategies 15 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. But now we keep hearing about this great resignation. We keep hearing what uh, this large population of Gen Z and the largest population in the workforce, millennials, what they want to see. We were conditioned, I'm pushing 50, we were conditioned um, when we were in the workplace to go and really look at only two things, salary and title. That was it. 
And even if we had a great work culture where we were and we were happy because we were conditioned that by our mentors, our universities, our coaches, whoever it was, that's articles that were coming out back then about when should you leave your job. It was those things or said, okay, I'm offered a better title here and more money here. I'm going to leave. doesn't matter how happy I am. I'm going to leave because that's what I was trained to be. That's not the case anymore. If 70% of the workforce, 70% of the workforce is under the age of 40 and they want different things in salary and title, they're in the top 10, but they're not in the top five. Mm-hmm. And they want their organization uh, to care about their mental health and wellness. If, they, if they, they want their organization to understand a flexible work schedule can be a good thing because I've still yet to see an organization that went bankrupt because of a flexible work schedule. If they want to have their voice heard by leadership and access to leadership, uh, they're going to choose that company. And a lot of times they're taking a lesser salary because the organization holistically is is checking more boxes for them and taking care of them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for us to – I mean, we say when someone comes to work here, we offer – three value propositions to everybody that comes to work here. One, we offer competitive salary that's market driven. Number two, we offer a generous health package that allows you to maintain your family and personal health and well-being. And number three, we offer a culture in which you're valued as a human being for the person you are and the the um, gifts you bring to not only our organization, but our community or, or our families. Uh, and so we think about it in in that way. And I think so we do understand that we have to have a very different relationship with those that we work with today. And and you're right. Generationally, it positions itself differently or, or people are positioned based on where uh, they exist. Let me offer this idea that I think, uh, again, still resonates with me or this circumstance. So. Uh, again, Feeding Tampa Bay is an organization that prides itself on diversity. And as I said, we've, you know, as we like to say, we've got, you know, a wide variety of folks here and, and, uh, and uh, circumstances and experiences. So, of course, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, like many organizations, we said we need to step back and make sure that we're having a conversation about race, uh, about who we are and what we are at greater depth. And so we brought in an outside company that helped us conduct conversations across the whole of our organization. I think we held seven of them. And myself and our cultural officer sat in on all of them, but we just broke up folks based on when we could get to them, right? So not necessarily organization area, but time you could, right? So we had a wide variety of people people in our conversations. And the experiences that people shared had nothing to do with work. Right. It was it was a much different moment that uh, one of the stories that I recall was shared with us. And many of them were stunning to me. And I would consider myself a pretty open minded and thoughtful person. It's just um, but one of our uh, employees shared that he uh, had been stopped on the side of the road uh, by a police officer. And he knew enough that when the officer came up to the car, he needed to put his hands outside the car so the officer could see his hands. The officer approached the car and started to question him. Notice that in the passenger side of the car, there was a white woman. And the officer continued to address the woman and say, are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay, ma'am? Ignoring the driver, our colleague who is black. And finally, the woman said, that's my husband. 
that means we've entered into a relationship with this man that shared this story in a very different way, right? And the question I have for us as employers is what does that mean? Because that's a story about race, but we also have stories about gender. We have stories about experiences in prison or out of those. How do we start to enter into those relationships with people at a depth and a capability that allows us to take in that level of information? Because there is something inside of that relationship in that moment that we have an obligation to. Right. It's far more than making sure your paycheck comes every other week. Mm -hmm. It's far more than we have now moved into a very, very different conversation. And I think the question for all of us that we're trying to ask is you can't go halfway into that. And so you're right. Uh, cookout once a year does not mean we've entered into that meaningfully with you. Right. Uh, and so I think we're trying to understand what that context looks like moving forward. I, I think creating safe environments for employees to disclose, enter mm -hmm. uh, whatever that is here, um, trauma, mental illness, addiction, harassment, um, whatever that is, that's when, when you create those environments, that's when you create the work environment that a majority of employees want to see today. It might not have been the one that you were equipped to handle when you first became in a leadership role. It might not have been the one we learned about in business school, but that's what people want to see today. And when you have leadership making it safe, both in person and online, whether it's a Zoom training or online training or an internal uh, intranet system where you, they get disseminate information about what's happening in the culture of your organization, when you create that first, then people will feel comfortable eventually seeing that I'm in a I'm in a place where if I something does happen to me, I have an organizational leader and I have a company that makes me feel comfortable that I can say something. Because a lot of people have left jobs in the last five to ten years because of things that happen within that culture. You can call it whatever you want, toxic work culture. People are leaving managers, not missions in our sector. So what is it? that we're creating as organizational leaders. And the first thing you have to do is create that safe environment for people just to even hear that information. Because now when you're hearing about something, that story that you just talked about, for a lot of people, it was their first time understanding power dynamics and privilege. And then you start getting in those conversations like, I had no idea because I've never experienced that. And that's understanding privilege. And I think sometimes when we look at how social media is disseminating what those conversations look like, they're making it very adversarial. Um, and and they, they don't have to be. They can be yeah. very natural. And it's all about displaying and showing empathy within the workplace, which is what all the research is saying the largest group in the workforce wants to see in an organization today. So when you talk about those three pillars that you have at the organization, competitive salary and great, you know, robust benefits and culture, I would move the culture all the way to the front, make it 10 times bigger than everything else, because I know in terms of recruitment and retention, no matter what C-suite group I talk to, HR group I talk to, CEO I talk to, that's a little bit out of what they know, but they're starting to see that's the wave coming forward. Well, I think, you know, I think we've we've known that from that perspective. I think the question for us, Ian, really is what's the next level with that? It's one thing for us to say we care that, you know, Shannon, you're a female and you have certain things that are important to you or experiences that you want to make sure we understand as an employer. Ev, you're a person of color. You have certain experiences or things that are important to you that you want us to understand. 
I feel good about that. What I don't know is what's that next step beyond? How do we move into that? Is that our influence outside of our walls? Is that our influence inside of our walls? What do we do with that? Because I think when that gentleman shared that story, he created an obligation. Once we asked to hear it, he created an obligation that we have a responsibility to live into. And I think the great question for me moving forward is how do we live into that obligation or that responsibility? And I do believe it starts with empathy. I think you're right there. I would agree. And I think largely we probably have an overly (laughs) – we do this exercise, this color exercise of blue, green, orange, and yellow. I don't remember what the colors were. But blue is empathetic. And so that's like 85% (laughs) of our staff, which explains 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 a whole lot of other (laughs) – Poor Thomas. All I know is how I feel, how I feel, how I feel. Right? And I'm a blue, too, so I get that. But I think the next question that I have, and so we're very clear about this. If you talk about our clients, we'll say we want to solve for three things. We want to solve time, distance, and location. If we break down those barriers, we generally can provide them resources that allow them, right? So that's kind of how we think about it. I think the question for us as an employer is, you know, we know how to break down some of these barriers, right? We can break them down inside of these walls, but how do we break them down outside of the walls? Because that's where folks are experiencing their trauma. I think a lot for a lot of companies wondering what's the next level. I don't know if there's the next level, but the next strategy is discipline consistency. We've just started. Well, this. that sounds sexy. And We've exciting. just Thank started. You. Yeah, put that, on, put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, no, I can tell you about. We the have one. our new organizational slogan. <laughs> I, I can tell you about the one push-up I did last week, but I haven't changed in the mirror. I'll tell you that right now. And so right. it's, it's it's you know this is so very new. I was a, I was a corporate diversity inclusion officer uh, at a telecom company seven years ago mm-hmm. and it was it's all still so new I mean it used to be D and I and then they added an E and then they had to realize they need to put the E before the I because their acronym was messed up <laughs> now they're adding other acronyms they're adding belonging as part of that so or access as part of that so all of this is still so new and, and the biggest issue that you see concerning a lot of these programs when you talk about race or you talk about uh, sexual identity is just what's the com- what's, what's the end game for the company is that I'm checking a box and I'm now in this space, or am I actually creating an environment where people feel psychologically safe to come to work each and every day, to be them full, to be their full selves, and then how are they talking about the company when they leave here, when they leave yeah. these walls? And I think it, it always is going to come down to when it when it when it comes to taking care of your people and taking care of your populations. Are we making a concerted effort to just continually do this? in a new way. And what are we learning along the way? A conversation about race can go a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But what are we learning in that process? And how do we disseminate that information? And did we make that person feel safe? And how is that conversation evolving for the next time we have it? Mental health awareness is a major key to success today, both personally and professionally. The team at Stick of Forkinet and Ian Adair invite you to join us for the fourth annual Stronger Than Stigma event on Friday, May 13th, where more than 400 mental health advocates gather for a fun and inspiring event supporting mental health services. To learn more about purchasing tickets or sponsor opportunities, go to gracepointfoundation.org. We'll see you there. 
I think for a lot of us, and particularly of my age group, uh, we're defined often by our careers. And I'm not bothered by that. It's not something that I would look back and say, you know, so I hope, you know, my daughter would say I'm a good dad. I hope my wife would say I'm a good husband, uh, you know. Um, and those things are important to me. But a lot of us develop our identity from the work that we do and the legacy we leave behind. We have a saying here that we share with everybody that leaves, you know, or is it the organization, leave it better than you found it. That's your sacred duty here. Leave it better than you found it, right? Uh, because if you, whatever theology you kind of think about, all of us are simply moving, right? There's going to be other people that are on the other side of this microphone X number of years from now having the same conversation that we had today and will be long forgotten. The question is, did we move the mission? Did we move our work forward? I think one of the things that I think about in that context, Ian, is what is our legacy to those that worked with us? Right. Uh, who are the mentors and the people that right? So I'm a product of a couple of really good mentors along the way who helped me kind of move in and through some stuff. Now, they never, <clears throat> excuse me, crossed the barrier of who I was as a person. They focused on who I was as a worker. Right. Today, the difference is in order to move someone forward, we're having to focus more on them as a person mm -hmm. than we are on them as a worker. This is neither good nor bad, but it certainly is. Right. And I think that's one of the challenges for us is how do we start to say, okay, we need to recalibrate that productivity. And this gets to the point you made a moment ago. Productivity is the byproduct of, of psychological, emotional, and, and personal well-being. Right, people don't have the ability to say, I'm going to push all this aside and work hard necessarily. We have to make sure folks feel good before they perform good. This isn't literally true, but it is often figuratively true. That the more we focus on the well-being of our colleagues, the greater we see our capability as an organization grow. Right. Uh, this is certainly, you could say, well, duh. But it's a very different way to think about what is it that you're doing here. So should I have a conversation with Shannon to say, Shannon, you should produce 50 widgets a day. And if you produce those 50 widgets, ergo, you're a good employee and we're going to give you a, right? A or, check. A check. <laughs> or should I focus Box on, checked. Shannon, here are some soft skills, social skills, and EQ skills that I really want to see you know, help you with. You've identified some challenges. I'm going to help you develop all those soft skills. And we think as a result of that, your 50 widgets will be achieved. I think that's the shift that I've mm -hmm. seen in now my career, right? I'm a little older, I'm pushing 60 as opposed to 50, yeah, yeah. very close to 60, right? How do we think about that and, and the combination of the two? Well, I think you, when the first original comedy you came up with, identity is looked at differently today. Yes. I, identity in the workplace is who are you going to be within this company and how are we going to nurture you to be whatever that is? That's what it was 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, it's very different now. People are coming in having already wrestled with who they are at a very young age. Now, what company can they work for that's going to make them feel psychologically safe for them to be who they are, to be part of that work culture, to now help that company move forward. Um, I've seen companies completely turn around when they went inward to work with their people and then that translated later to their customers or clients. Right. And, and, it, it's, and it's, it's funny, the ones that it's happening to. I was part of one of those uh, companies and to see it happen was, was very unique to be in the middle of it. Um, but 
I don't think anyone's coming into a job today or looking at a, an interview process today wondering where that age-old question was. Where do, you see, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years knowing um, how transient workers are today? And they'll if, if a company is not making them feel safe or if they don't feel comfortable in that organization, they're willing to leave and move. It's become very fluid, and you know you don't see a lot of people. How many people have you talked to? The best group of people to talk to are the ones that worked for a company for 30, 40 years and actually had a pension or retirement mm-hmm. uh, when those things existed. <laughs> um, and you talk to them, and you say, wow, 30 years, because I look at it. I, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it feels like I've been in the witness protection program the last 20 <laughs> years. Um, and then I'll talk to them like, wow, that's a, that's amazing. Cause I'm actually admire that like 30 years. Yeah. I mean, you must've loved it. Hated every minute of it. Yep. <laughs> like what, what held on, you know, I just held on for the pension. Right? You must've had at least a good mentor or manager that you like, nope. Yeah. If I saw him today, I'd probably hit him. And I'm just like, wait a second, <laughs> what's going on. So there's been this huge cultural shift in just how we look at what work is. And I keep hearing the term over and over again, and you may have heard it too. The largest group in the workforce today is not living to work. They're working to live. Mm. And that's all it is to them. And if they don't find a place that makes them feel comfortable in that space, there's no loyalty to those companies. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I was going to bring this point up as well. I think we live in a society that is far more transactional than relational. Right. And that goes back to that conversation I was having with, um, you know, with the millennials. They have a right to feel that they have, we'll just say, trust issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, I worked for AT&T for 10 years, thought I would spend the rest of my life there. Right. For my very first job, big job. I thought I was the luckiest guy in the world. This is the old version of the AT&T, not the phone store version. Right. When it was the biggest company in the world. Mm-hmm. 10 years in, they walked in and said, you're out of a job, we're closing down your division. 900 of us, given our walking papers. They did it nicer than that, but that was the (laughs) net result of it. And I remember him saying, the guy, uh, I think his name was John Foster said, the reality is you will not work for the same company more than three years ever again in your career. That's pretty much where everything is going. And you also think about societally, we live in a much more transactional situation. Right. That we want something for our, you know, and of course, we've always had this to some degree or another. But, Ian, you're really talking about and I think this is the question for us as an employer is how do we move beyond the transactional back into the relational? What's the investment of both parties? It never bothers me when someone leaves here to say, hey, I got a new job and I'm going on to, or I've, I've gone on to the next part of my evolution as a human being. I, you know, that to me is great. What bothers me is when people say the transaction wasn't satisfactory to me. Nobody resigns for that reason, but that's pretty much what they're saying. Right. And, and, and I wonder for us as an organization, how do we have that relational conversation? How do we create that longer-term relationship if they want it, we want it? What are the new elements of that? And we're talking about some of that by saying it's much more cultural than it is other factors. But I do think we're coming up against a belief that there's a natural terminus in every employee's relationship with an organization, and it probably is a much shorter duration. I think for all of us that do this work, that's a challenge. Right. And, and we see that in the nonprofit sector. We're seeing it in other sectors. 
especially ones that deal with high needs populations, tough populations. We, we do get compassion fatigue. We do experience burnout. It's hard to always you know, be your full self and, and, and be in that mode and not have it impact you. Um, I started my career as an HIV social worker. It was hard. It's hard being a social worker for something in the late 90s that w- mostly led wow. to the because someone, the yeah. loss of someone because yeah. the medicine wasn't there, um, the systems weren't in place, um, and, and you're constantly seeing people you're trying to help either get really sick or pass away. Um, that was difficult. So when I started moving to you know youth development and uh, you know underserved or underrepresented communities, that made much more sense to me because um, that's how I was raised. But it's still it was still a hard population to be around because you're dealing with all the needs that a community has, especially kids, um, and a lot of the times it has to deal with basic needs that we what we that we learned so well early in our professional life, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What are those base needs of food, shelter, you know, and those kinds of things? And you're to the to the analogy to use with the teacher, you didn't get to teach until you met those needs first. You didn't get to actually support a child until you help meet those needs as well. Um, so yeah. what would be? I wonder what would be the Maslow's hierarchy of needs for a colleague today, <laughs> right? Oh, well, if we had to define right, what would be right? Because um, I think this is the key for us moving forward as an organization. Uh, we have the when we last did a um, uh, we do an employee survey every year that helps us understand how effective we are in certain areas. But one of the things that uh, we did an interim study, one of the things that the company that did the study for us said. Um, was that one of the nice things about your organization is everybody's united in that the cause is something they care about. So organizationally, culturally, we're able to create this common bond that says, no matter whether you're driving a truck or you're working in accounting or you're you know, trying to raise money or you're the communications officer, no matter what you're doing, we have this commonality between us that we fundamentally believe this mission matters. Um, and so we have that for us. And then I think we also provide the psychological opportunity, the psychic gift that says, you know, at the end of the day, when I go out and I put food in someone's car, when I, you know, serve a meal at a table, when I offer a program that helps somebody get signed up for a benefit, there's a psychic effect that that person experiences as a result of that service. We know they're getting a paycheck for it, but there's still that connection. I think for us as an organization, what's post that, right? What moves past that and what keeps people engaged? So you've been working for 30 years now? Is that fair? Yeah, 27 years, yeah. And you've spent all of your time in this social world. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Why? How? It's. I I think like (laughs) most of the people that are drawn to it, is this – Barbara Walters questions now. Mm-hmm. You're trying to cut to the he's core. Transitioned right. now. He's transitioned now. Yeah, he's trying yep. <laughs> uh, It's like a Royal Firestone interview. You're trying to make me cry, <laughs> Thomas. Um, yeah, I think like like so many people, we have attachments to a lot of the organizations that we work with. Um, I have I've run three small organizations. One was equity and education. One was youth development, and now mental health awareness. Um, because of those are the things that impacted me most when I was growing up. I'm very open about why I I do this today. I I couldn't have done this job 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because we weren't open about um, how we were impacted by things like suicide and and mental illness and uh, Mm -hmm. traumatic experiences and addiction back then. But 
when, when people ask me, I just did a new employee orientation right before coming over here. And one of the folks has asked me, why, why do you do this, Ian? And I said, well, I'm an open book, so I'll just go ahead and give you the 30-second version. Father was a drug addict and left when I was young. Mother and brother both battled mental illness, uh, a couple of suicide attempts between them. I was a caregiver, and that led me to having compassion and empathy for this space. But when I started experiencing uh, depression and panic attacks, who was I going to go to? I was the one getting that hit hit of dopamine, that pat on the shoulder for taking care of people at a young age. So where was I going to go? And we were still living in a culture in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s where men didn't talk about mental health. We just simply didn't do it for whatever reason. You can name a 100 of them. Um, But it wasn't until I sought help and had mentors that pushed me to get help that I start feeling better and I start managing the things I was going through and I start employing things that help me, uh, my self-care, my mental health, my mental well-being. And in that way, I was I was I was in a better place to get married and be a father and then jump into this kind of work in a much better headspace that I could provide help. Well, I think, you know, we're probably getting close to our hour. I think that would lead back to a final point that I think for us, and you're really talking about, which is why I asked the question. I think we really come back to the fundamental question of purpose, right? And so if we get to this idea of one of the reasons why a lot of folks are uh, disconnected and struggling is because they're not sure what their purpose is. One of the things you just shared is you know what your purpose Mm -hmm. is, right? And I think, right? I, too, have battled my way through a whole lot of stuff. And so I have two things going for me. One is I have that toolkit resources in order to help me manage what are the invariable outcomes from trauma in your life. But the other thing that I was given the gift of is purpose. Right. Uh, And I think that going back to our relationship with those in and around us is how do we help people find their purpose? Of course, um, what's his name has made a ton of money off what's your why? And and rightfully so. It's a really good question to ask. But I think even as we start to look in my mind in that post conversation about, uh, okay, here is your challenge in this world. Let's help you find your purpose. Yeah, I think, Shannon, we could say to you, you know, you probably don't necessarily have a reason to work here, right? Um, uh, right. Well, but you ultimately could not. You, you probably don't have to work. You don't have to do this work. But you have found a place of purpose. I have. Right. And yes. I think that's, you know, for us, I think even as I start to look into, there's a gentleman that we have here that spent 30 plus years in prison, right, most of his adult life. Uh, And he was in to see me about a week and a half ago to say he wants to, he was asking my permission, he wants to go, which he didn't need, he wants to go talk to other prisoners about how he's turned his life around. Right? So he may drive a truck, but that's not his purpose. Right. You know, his purpose is, I want to be a better man and I want to share this story. And I think as I come back to that story about the gentleman with his hands out the window, all of those kinds of things, I think what I'm thinking about the answer to that post-empathy question is how do we move from empathy to purpose? How do we take that underlying challenge that folks have had and say, let's turn that into a positive for you and for us? Uh, Because you and I are both um, survivors of, but also people that have used that to move into a different place in our lives. And I think that, for me, 
is a question that we have as we move further and further into the relationship with those we serve. Uh, the people that I know best here that I mentor most closely, I know, uh, I know their trauma, <laughs> right? Um, and I think for all of us, going back to that story about who we are as an organization around race, we have to empathize with the trauma, but we have a responsibility to move past that into the post. Uh, and I think maybe to ask you to close all of this is how do we look further down the line? How do we go deeper and farther? I got the consistent part, right? But how do we go deeper and farther? And maybe this is a subject that we get back to with the final question of purpose. Yeah, I mean, when, when I say consistent discipline I mean, that's right, it's right not, our, new, our new organization that's not, uh, the t-shirt it's, it's not exactly a, a big <laughs> seller in the t-shirt department um, we put that on every treadmill in the gym and people would peel it off right. I, I, I but think, you ultimately believe in the human condition and you have faith in people based on I, everything I, I've heard you speak I, about I, and read I do because I mean even when even knowing that um, I've had traumatic experiences that could have easily turned me away from believing in people. Um, I still believe in people. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that's going to change. Um, but what do you do to go further? I think to go further, there has to be a willingness to always be uncomfortable. Things don't move forward when we're comfortable because everyone has a different level of comfort. Leaders have a different level of comfort than their employees. HR has a very different level of comfort than everybody else. <laughs> so what can we... We don't tell HR anything. <laughs> what, <laughs> don't listen. What can we do? If we want to move forward, we have to get uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times that's where the magic happens, even though you don't think the magic's happening when that's going on. So when you're in a room, when people feel safe enough to disclose, there's different variations of comfortability when someone tells a story like the one that you talked about. But you got uncomfortable, and it, it, it made sense, and you moved forward. You went from unbiased to sometimes just plain bias. I've had people tell me before after, un, well, after an unconscious bias training, we've had the training, are we good now? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, that wasn't... <laughs> I go, you're not going to stop right. unconscious bias, but right. you've got to keep having those conversations for those things to come up. And whether you're uncomfortable or not about it, you're pushing the conversation forward and you're progressing as an organization. So where do you where do you keep going? You keep going where you're the most uncomfortable. And I think you'll find that your overall, your employees respect and will look at you as a leader or as leaders in an organization that are willing to get everyone to a place where they can be their full self to work. Because that's the only way you can do it. Creating a safe environment and then be willing to have those conversations. Um, that's where we're seeing right now is being played out on a national stage. That's where we're seeing the debate happening on many different things around a lot of these issues that we talked about, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's or orientation, identity, uh, or race. but. When you look at the ones that have had the most success, when you look at the research, where you, where you can go and be uncomfortable is where the magic's always going to be. There's this great graphic that talks about your comfort zone as one little circle, and then it keeps going further and further out. And the next circle outside of that is just an incredible amount of anxiety, an incredible <laughs> amount of uncomfortableness, an incredible amount of feeling displaced. But the further you keep going, you get to a place where you're informed, to where you're educated, to where you're 
an advocate. And I think the most people out there that want to be in that far space are going to realize they're going to be the leaders that are going to attract the most people to their organizations. And so we put one more, actually, one more question. So That's my we, one wrap-up per podcast. Yeah, <laughs> one wrap-up Thomas, per I really <laughs> slid in the home on that what, one. What a journey <laughs> this podcast has been. From, uh, yeah. So <laughs> if we come back to... full circle where we yeah. started, uh-huh. right? You have ongoing trauma emotionally, yeah. mentally, spiritually that's just happening to people, whether right, whether it's happening to them, it's happening around them. Right. Right. So I think the point that you're making is, and I think this is the part for us as a society and as a community, is how do we invite you into that uncomfortability and allow you to manage it and effectively uh, make your peace with it, right? Is that kind of what you're saying to understand that the conflict exists? And yeah, the, yeah, the con- we're, we're not in a place anymore where we can hide from where the conflict yeah. is, no matter what it is. Uh, we, we could turn off the news uh, 10 years ago when we thought they were diving into a subject we didn't want our kids to hear. Um, we used to, you know, when we were watching a movie that we weren't quite sure was good for our kids. Remember mm-hmm. when our parents used to cover our, oh, well, cover your eyes for this scene, you know, when you're watching some, you know, mm-hmm. soap opera from the from the 80s or 90s, you're not supposed to see it. I remember when the most taboo thing you can talk about or your parents tell you not to talk about in the 80s and 90s is when uh, they found out a family friend of yours was getting divorced. Remember when the most uncom- uncomfortable conversation you ever had was the talk with your parents? Uh now it's different. Yeah. Now we're, I mean, I, I, when I was in education for, for, for a few years, and as a teacher coming from uh, the Boys and Girls Club system where I was for almost 11 years, and just being able to have rapport with students, what students are willing to tell teachers nowadays, whether they're homeless, whether that uh, their um, parent is, is consistently using drugs in the home, whether they haven't eaten for a couple of days, they are saying things much more openly um, to people that they trust uh, in a way they never did 20, 30 years ago. And so uh, we're understanding as nonprofit professionals, as education professionals, as anyone in the human service field, a lot of what we're taking in on a day-to-day basis is very different than what we were trained. Yeah. And so with those organizations, going back to the previous statement, those organizations that are willing to help us feel safe and understand and talk through those and have those critical conversations and uncom- uncomfortable conversations are going to develop the most sympathetic uh, and caring workforce that we have. And those are the people that are going to stay with us moving forward. And I think that's the next level. Mm-hmm. I think it's going from feeling uncomfortable and someone training us to understand that it's going to be part of this to having a whole organizational uh, base understand that they can be this together and move forward together. So each thing that comes up right now, it was right now for the last two years, it's been a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now it's the war in Ukraine, what we're seeing. There's going to be a next. Right. And all we can do is to keep doing this uh, until we get to that place to where uh, we have the the workforce that feels the safest when they feel unsafe right i would I, I would end what i would think by saying this i think if we have a goal as an organization we would be the oasis right that folks would come to that we mm-hmm. would be the place where you can feel at peace rested and well taken care of and well thought of because the world out there can be pretty tricky and difficult yeah. and yeah. hopefully when you walk into our doors people feel as if they are accepted cared for have a purpose, valued, right? Um, 
I don't know how employers get there, right, these days. We've talked some about that today, but I think if we had an objective, that would be it. It's been great to have a conversation with you today. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for hosting us. We didn't really let you get in at all. <laughs> I would, sometimes things just unfold, and this went in a wonderful direction. Thank you both for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me again. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. This was a lot tougher than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thomas always kind of puts a little on it. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. And these are the conversations again. Uh, I got uncomfortable for a second. I want to live my yeah. truth. That's, that's what we need to be. Yeah. Yep. Thank I learn you. something every time I sit with you, Ian. Yeah. Perfect. See you next time, folks. Woo. Wow. Too heavy in a row. We, we Again, we want to hear what you think about it. So reach out to us. Let us know. You can reach out to us on social, feedingtampabay.org slash podcast. All the links are there, and you can talk to Ev or I. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We really are excited about our next episode because we have – it's going to be our third visit with us. She's a fan. She actually calls us. I, we've made the big time, baby. But she calls us because she wants to come on the show. She's got something going on. Chef Rachel Bennett from the library. And uh, she's got good stuff. Good stuff going on. And maybe a recipe. You don't know. You don't know. Junior James Beard Award winners got good stuff. So we'll be with you next time, folks. Looking forward to it. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.